Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Southeast, the podcast where we take you through some of the major topics facing importers and manufacturers in China today. Hi, everybody! Thanks for joining us again on China Manufacturing Decoded. This is episode sixty-nine. It's Adrian here from the team, and I'm here with Renault, our CEO. Hi, Renault. Hey, how are you doing? Hi, Adrian. Hi, everybody. Hi there. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thank you. Yes.、Uh, yourself? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I was just realizing tomorrow is September as as we're recording this.、Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, everything is just blurred、um, between personal time and working time, and and、um, you know working place and holiday place because people can't really travel as much as before. I mean, it's、um, Yeah, it looks. It all feels a bit blurry. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a little bit of travel starting to to start up now. Some lucky listeners might have might have been able to travel abroad somewhere, I suppose. But yeah, in the, in the main, it's it's still a bit of a mess, isn't it?、Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah.、Mm, okay. Well, today, now that I've got you with me, if you remember a few episodes ago, in episode sixty-five, we discussed. A number of different options open to buyers who are trying to source products from China. So, I mean, you know, you can do it yourself. You can work with a company like Sofist. You can work with, you know,、uh, a sourcing agent. So, these were the different options we gave. And in this episode, I wanted to explore further exactly what you do if you're doing it yourself. So, getting your advice on how to. Identify potential suppliers, verifying, you know, maybe a shortlist that you've made, and then cultivating some second choices. I, I guess these would be like backup suppliers or something like that. And just to sort of go through that early stage of of sourcing and get those tips. I suppose this is going to be two or three parts, which we'll probably do over the following few weeks. So, yeah, to, to begin with, I think the first question is. How do we, if we're doing it ourselves, identify those suppliers? Yeah, it always starts with identifying the suppliers, right?、Mm. Uh, and the right supplier, because you come to、um, you come to China, or metaphor- metaphorically, you come to China, not not really flying, but、um, you can find everything pretty much in a lot of categories. You can find really cheap and crappy、um, factory, you know,、uh, that has no processes, no, no, nothing, just are unable to 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 give it, you know, to、uh, to satisfy any expectations in a consistent manner,、um, have very limited technical abilities, you know, and then you you can also have the very sophisticated. Multinational manufacturer that has a lot more capabilities, engineering capabilities than than your team.、Uh, that you know have, have been、uh, specializing in a certain category for many years, understand the market maybe even better than you do, and 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 so on and so forth, and with impeccable quality.、Um, so. You, you, you know, most listeners want to go with something in the middle, right?、Uh, something that is、mm. right-sized 
for them, something that is suitable, something that is a right, the right fit. Because the, the, the tiny shop that doesn't really know what they're doing, well, you're going to have to have someone there nearly all the time during production. Um, you know, just to, to make sure that the products are usable or sellable, right? At, at a basic level. So mm. the price that you pay might be low, but the total cost of your organization might be high. And still, even if you have, you know, even if you put two people on site all the time, it doesn't mean you're going to get exactly what you want. Far from that. Okay. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you go with a really large, um, really capable, experienced company, but maybe your orders are tiny for them. They don't really care. Um, maybe their price will be very high. Maybe they'll be totally inflexible. Maybe, you know, <laughs> whatever. Maybe they start to talk and then at one point they just stop communicating because they say, well, there's really very little business to do with these people. Mm. Um, you know, so you need to find the right fit. Uh, and that is really the key concept that uh, people need to, to, to take away from this. There is no such thing as a good factory or a bad factory. I mean, yeah, I guess some factories are bad for all of their customers. Now, why are they still in business? Maybe, maybe they're not so bad for certain buyers who, you know, don't care that much about poor quality, don't care that much about poor service and so on and so forth. Maybe they, they extract a price that's low enough. Maybe there's something else that's interesting in them. Mm. So even the worst factories that I can think of, um, you know, even if they could be shut down by the government tomorrow because they're non-compliant to, for example, to, to the pollution standards, still, you can't say they are a bad factory in the absolute, because there might be some buyers out there for whom it's a good fit, mm-hmm. um, you know, and maybe it's their, the, the, the owner's brother uh, who purchases everything or the, the father or the son or whatever. And, um, and he has nothing to do with cost quality on time delivery and so on. True, but still, okay. It's the right supplier for them, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. their, um, their, their, their situation and their desires, their, their needs are, right? So it's no such thing as good factory, bad factory. Yeah, so it's no such, such thing as a good factory. Why am I saying that? Because you can, you can go to a, you know, the best manufacturer of earphone for Apple. And let's say that you can catch their attention, which is uh, already not uh not easy let's say you catch their attention and they want to do business with you they might be a horrible supplier for you simply because maybe you say well you know oh you you work on these airpods and everything you work with apple when they developed it and you have such capability with it okay like this is my design just do everything and then they will skip a lot of the things that apple usually does Mm. they might not designed for reliability they might not design for quality they might um, they might pick the wrong components because you have a price point that's l- much lower maybe and then they they go with some suppliers that they don't really know and then they they, they run into all kinds of troubles so 
there's no such thing as a bad supplier or a good supplier. There is such a thing as a good fit supplier. That is really the, the key here. Mm. It, it reminds me the topic that you're talking about of what you were talking with um, Max and Clive last week in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And some issues are actually caused by the buyer as well in terms of poor communication of, oh, yeah. you know, your, your standards and your requirements. Oh, yeah. So if you do not have clear quality standard, for example, you know, so, so things like visual inspection standard, you know, what, what is acceptable, not acceptable, a test plan, you know, what, what tests does the, 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 the product have to pass and things like that. Well, you go to a great supplier and they're going to be thinking, whoa, 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 this guy has nothing. You know, we, we have to, oh, let, no, sorry, I should not say good supplier. You go to a supplier with mature systems and processes. Mm-hmm. They're going to be freaking out. They're going to think, whoa, you know, we, if we work with this customer, they can complain at any time. Since there's no standard, they can always complain about everything. Mm. This is really, you know, scary. And they're going to work on something and they're going to push you to accept something, right? And you go to the, 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 you know, the more disorganized manufacturer kind of does everything by the seat of their pants and, you know, always impro- improvising, no clear processes, no, um, no view, you know, no, no, no focus on anything further than, than 10 days ahead. You know, you go to them and you say, well, you know, I, I want this. Can you make it? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Just, you know, why the money and we'll do the rest. They make it look very simple and. They would not bother with, you know, setting up a standard. I mean, come on. If they have no standard, it means you cannot complain about anything because they will always have some excuse, right? Mm. So it's different approaches, you know. Some suppliers will say, well, I'm afraid they might complain and we might not have a good answer. And then the others will think, well, that's good because if they complain, even if we really screw up, <laughs> even if we're really bad, they will complain, but we can always say, well, you know, we thought it was okay for you. Well, you know, the other companies that we deal with in your country, there's no problem with them. Well, come on, you know, we give you a good price. Obviously, quality can be so good. And, you know, you did not disagree with that because you never talked about quality. We, we had no clue it was even important to you, hmm. right? so who do you want to work with it depends it depends because the the more disorganized one the, you know with very immature systems and processes they will be cheaper probably yeah and for certain things they will be faster because they don't bother with risk analysis and you know and control plans and things like that they don't care <laughs> they just want to buy material transform it package ship it to you that's all that matters and collect your payment and get to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It can actually be much cheaper when you look at the FOB price. But right. when you look at the, the total cost, <clears throat> you know, maybe they send something to you and 5% of the products are defective. Uh, and sometimes it's 20%. So you, you really have to do your own inspection. So that's already extra costs. Uh, you, you ship that extra 5% to 20% of defectives you paid for the freight and the duties and everything and you have them you know you paid for them in full you have to discard them and all of that is costly right Mm. 
but it's not in the FOB price. What do you want, right? And different companies have different answers to that. Um, I mean, ideally, everybody would want to work with, you know, suppliers that do everything they can to minimize the quality issues, the reliability issues. Of course, um, that would be much better for the environment. Um, of course, you know, much less waste. But that's just not the world that we live in, unfortunately. So uh, that's why I'm, 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 I'm taking a lot of precautions. I don't want to sound, you know, judgmental. Um, yeah. You know, ah, oh, this is wow, such a crappy supply, you know, the, the worst factory I've ever seen and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, well, you know, how come they're still in business? Oh, mm-hmm. maybe they've been losing money for five years straight. Uh, maybe they... <laughs> Plus, they, they might um, they might owe a lot of money to their suppliers and things like that. You know uh, why? You know, um, but it's better to say there's no such thing as a good or bad factory. There's a good fit or a bad fit factory, right? And to to come back to our discussion of last week um, with Max and and Clive, well. Um, there was a point uh, in the podcast, in the episode, where um, I asked, okay, so what to do if a supplier is just not good and they don't do anything to, to improve or, you know, very symbolic actions, but it, it really doesn't doesn't lead anywhere. And this, both of them say, well, you know, at one point you need to switch. So, yeah. and actually, the, yeah, the, the answer, the real answer to that question is why did you pick this supplier in the first place, right? Why (laughs) Why do you work with a supplier that's not interested in improving, that was not of your standard and is not interested in improving, right? Uh, So picking the right suppliers is extremely important, actually. If Mm. you do that wrong, you're just going to suffer all along because, you know, until... You get back to picking the right suppliers, right? And so when we're when we're actually trying to source those good fit suppliers, then what sort of give give me a list of actions that you would suggest going through in order to you know uh, build up a short list of decent options? Well, yeah. So it, you got to think about it as a process. If you just go on Alibaba you know, pick a few people or, you know, do a little search. Oh, this sample looks good. Let me contact them. Oh, they have good English, you know, and you keep going like that. Um, you might end up with very much the wrong people. Hmm. So, um, and that might be fine if you're really in a hurry and it's going to be a very small order, right? Uh, so now let's say you're trying to actually build your business by finding the right sources that will support you for the next five, 10 or more years, okay? In that case, you want to follow a process. You, you, you want first to think what is a good fit supplier, right? So it comes back to what I was saying before. What kind of supplier would be a good fit for us? Well, you know, what size, um, what um you know, what, what other kind of customers do they have? Because it does inform a lot about their general understanding of 
your requirements and so on. Um, do, do you need to develop products with them? Do you need them to have R&D capabilities? Do you, um, uh, you know, is, is your product very specific and there's a, I don't know, a specific module that's very, very specialized, kind of niche. You know, do you want a supplier that actually uh, knows that, already has experience in that, and so mm. on and so forth? What are the criteria, basically? All right. Um, they, you know, they must accept a letter of credit on the first order, you know, things like that. Um, and um, that, that, that's the first step. Uh, and the first thing I said is what is the size of the supplier? So as I said before, very small uh, workshop with no structure. It will in general be cheaper. It will in general necessitate more follow-up, more monitoring. It will be less consistent. So this might be okay if your order is a small um if you if you need really low prices and so on mm-hmm. um, then you know you have the real the, the, the large manufacturers that you know eight hundred people two thousand people ten thousand people that have a lot of structure in place yeah they're organized oh yeah they have all the certifications that that you need they have um they have a, a customer roster that, that is impressive. Oh, they work with such and such and such, you know, wow. Uh, however, you will be dealing with a, a let's say you, you, your orders are not very large, okay? You're going to represent maybe 0.5% of their annual output mm. or 0.1% or maybe less. So do you think you'll get their best salesperson to follow you? No, you're going to get the the recent hire who knows very little um, do you think that you would get priority in production planning of course not do you think you'll be able to negotiate pricing of course not right do you, do you think you would be able to negotiate uh, payment terms <laughs> probably not uh, do you think you can work with a lawyer to push them with some relatively favorable to the buyer kinds of terms? Probably not, right? So if you're too small in front of the customer, it's, it's just too imbalanced. At one point, you know, you, 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 you have to go and look somewhere else, except if you're buying very standard off-the-shelf products. Um, that, yeah, that's probably not applicable because it's like buying from a distributor. It's just sending an order uh, payment and, and they ship it to you. Um, but if, if, if you want more of an OEM uh, or ODM manu- um, relationship, a closer relationship, uh, that, that doesn't work very well, right? So size, size is an example of a criterion that you really don't want to, uh, to, to underestimate, to, to, uh, to forget, right? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, that's step number one. Okay. And after that, well, you go, um, you go fishing, you know, you go, you, 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 you start from, um, you know, where are these suppliers that you're looking for? If they are 
um, you know, large organized multinational, you will you will find them in the industry, trade shows, you know, if it's cookware, you have to go to Chicago and, and so on. You know, if it's electronics, go to the CES. Um, now, if it's more the, the small and mid-sized manufacturers, you, you know, in normal times, you might want to go to the Canton Fair, you might want to go to, to the Hong Kong trade shows. Um, and of course, more and more, you can, you can find them, you know, in, in Dusseldorf, in, in Las Vegas and so on for different shows. But really the, the, the place where you will find most of them without taking a plane is Alibaba.com, globalsources.com, madeinchina.com. These types of directories, um, they, they are basically advertising companies. They get paid by the suppliers. They don't charge anything pretty much. Yeah, they don't charge anything to, to the buyer. That's not their business model. Their main business model is to get paid by suppliers to give visibility to suppliers. All right. So you you go on one of these directories. And and also, if you, if you want, again, mid-size or, you know, to relatively large, uh, global sources is not a bad choice. If you want more smaller ones and as many as possible, then maybe Alibaba is the better one, right? I mean, they're not all the same. These directories are not all the same. Okay, so you, you go there, you search for the kind of products that you want to purchase, and you find some suppliers, and you do initial contact contact right so first maybe there you, there's a little bit of screening you can do there if it's too obvious that it's a trading company if you want to avoid the trading company then you know just drop it so for example they they have um, very different kinds of products maybe it's all i don't know christmas ornaments but they will supply you with the the Christmas and the balls and the, you know, and the packaging paper and all these kinds of things. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> this is not a focused manufacturer. It does. It just doesn't sound right. Mm. But if you find a, if you want, I don't know, coffee machines, and you find a supplier, and everything they do is about coffee machines. Okay, well, you know, there's, there's a higher chance. Also, look at the invested capital. It does. Um, provide some, you know, a bit of a hint <laughs> of whether they are a manufacturer or, or just mm. a, um, a service company. Yeah, it would, be, it would be quite a lot more for a manufacturer, right? Because they've got to put enough investment into the company to cover, you know, all of the wages of the staff and all of the rest of it, which would um, be significantly more for a manufacturer. So, Am I right? So if it's a Chinese-owned manufacturer, they can, especially if it was set up a while ago, you might you might find you know invested capital of a hundred thousand RMB or oh, okay. you know such low amounts. But if you look at trading companies, very often it's one RMB. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So um, it's just an indication. If you see hmm. uh, five million RMB, well, why would a trading company do that? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, it's it's very certainly very probably a, a manufacturer. Okay. Mm. So you, you look at these kinds of things 
you do a little bit of screening first. Um, based on your ideal profile, you do searches, you, you look you look at their their um, their actual profile and you see if it kind of looks like a match. And then step number three is to to contact them. Now different people go at it in different ways and I'm, I'm not I'm really not an expert here, but if you send them a long, long email, oh, they will just gloss over it and forget it. Only the bad suppliers that are not very busy will just keep trying to 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 get at you. But the ones that are successful don't need many new customers. If you don't make it easy for them, they're going to say, well, what is that? Okay, next one. Mm. Right? Um, you need to sell your project because, again, you want to catch the attention of the ones that, you know, are... are relatively successful in getting and, and retaining foreign customers and they tend to be more discerning, right? So you, if, I don't know, maybe your first order that you're planning is going to be already, you know, in the order of 30000 or $50,000, okay, this is not a tire kicker, right? Uh, they're going to think, okay, this, let, you know, let, let's try to get this business. Um, seems like, there's something here for us. If you've already been active selling the same kind of product in your country for years and you have a distribution channel and everything, say it to them, you know, then, oh, okay, it's not one of these wannabe Amazon sellers who, um, you know, who, who, who know nothing but pick the product category that they think they can make money in and, and, and go ahead. No, this is, uh, you know, not attractive to them. If you already have distribution channels, you already know your market, you know exactly what you want to do. This is more attractive because it has a better chance of leading to real orders, right? So that's the way mm. you need to think. Um, don't send them a very long message, but send them what they need to see to, to really get to the conclusion, hey, this is not a bad customer maybe. Okay, and then it will motivate them to respond. Um, try to appear organized. Um, so if you appear very disorganized, again, the best suppliers will think, this one is going to be a pain in the neck. Um, it's going to send us some messages on, on WeChat and Skype and email and text message and I don't know what. And um, we'll just lose track of what, what it is. He will forget to, to wire money to us. We have to push it push him 10 times this is not very attractive but if you come to them and say okay and i have a package here with some specifications of what i'm looking for da, 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 right or if you want to start with one of their products you need to tell them okay that product right here reference number xyz1234 i'd like to have it with that color this kind of packaging and i send you some photos of it um I'm going to buy you know, 5,000 pieces of it. And ideally, uh, I see that your lead time is 45 days. Uh, ideally, in two months, it would be on the boat. Um, but, you know, what are, the, what are the, the steps ahead? I need to get a sample that I approve first. You know, you, you make it obvious that you, um, you have a little bit of a plan and you have... Um, you have a process for approvals. 
Okay, so that screams, I'm not completely disorganized. I know what I'm doing. This is not the first time. Mm. Because again, there's a lot of people, you know, going on, let's say, Alibaba and contacting suppliers, and they have no clue what it takes to buy from China and and, and to sell batches of products. And these people, well, guess what? (laughs) You, you, You can send 20 emails back and forth with them and send samples and everything, but in most cases, the supplier doesn't get an order in the end. So mm. again, the suppliers get a little bit um, uh, discerning, and if you if you fit the, the their profile, their stereotype of the new buyer who knows nothing and doesn't have a market and, and so on and so forth, that's not good, you know. Uh, the suppliers who are busy will not respond to you, even though they might be the best. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are sort of going into the territory of the verification or, or vetting of, of suppliers that you found now. Mm-hmm. And I would add at this point that we did produce uh, a, a little while back a whole series of uh, podcast episodes about vetting suppliers. So yes. I will share the link to that in the show notes. And you can listen back to those and, and go into the vetting in a lot more detail. So uh, at this point, I suppose we're some way through verifying whether we've found the right sort of supplier. But if you've got a shortlist, you've, you've got more than one on the shortlist. So if you found one that you think is a good fit, is that it then? Do, is it all eggs in one basket and the rest of the, you know, suppliers that appear to be also a good fit on your shortlist just forget about those or can we actually do something with them as uh, and keep them as a backup or something well again it depends on the context uh, of what you're trying to do but if you're trying to develop a um, a business and set up your supply chain for um you know that would be the the basis of your success for yours to come yeah, try to have a backup source. Now, that's not always possible. You know, a lot of people go to China and buy off-the-shelf products that already exist. Um, for example, I don't know, a, um, um, <laughs> a toaster, you know, and then they say, okay, yeah, we think that toasters like these, there's a good market for them if they're at that price point. And then they go around and they say, oh, this one is exactly... Is perfect. That's what we need. And then they talk to them and then they say, well, no, in your country, Mr. Buyer, we don't have other customers. Okay, good. Um, I will need you to, uh, to produce it in that color, uh, with that, with my logo uh, in this packaging. Da, 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 da. Possible. Okay, great. Well, can you go to supplier B next week and say, I want you to make exactly the same? No, because they don't have the, the tooling for the enclosure. You know, most of the toasters have a, a plastic casing uh, and, uh, you know, it's made with injection molding and, sure. and, and you need tooling and it's not cheap. So you mm-hmm. can just shop around like this and have backup suppliers for the exact same product. In that case, you're going to be married to the same supplier for... Um, for a long time and uh, you know if possible if if things go 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 well if that model works 
Um, and, and that makes it all the more important to follow a process in that case. Because if you make a mistake, uh, that can be costly. You know, mm-hmm. you, you make a mistake. Well, maybe the, the product you pick is selling very well, but then the supplier is not behaving very nicely. It's not ethical, let's say. And they raise the price and, you know, they do all kinds of things and they, they favor their other customers. Maybe they, you know, you, um, they also sell to another company in your country, the exact same product and uh, their shipments are late and so on and so forth, but the product is selling well and you don't have the money to to put maybe $20,000 in tooling. And, and anyway, it would not be ethical on your side because, you know, <laughs> it's the supplier's model, the supplier's design. And by the way, um, one more reason to do a little bit more due diligence is is this really the supplier's design or maybe they they um you know an american customer paid for the molds and owns all of the intellectual property of that design and you're going to resell that product without knowing that an american company owns the the ik rights mm-hmm. <laughs> What can happen to you? Well, maybe that American company also sells in your country, right? <laughs> what can happen? You you might get a a letter from a lawyer. Yeah, nothing in, good. In unfriendly terms, mm. yes, right. So picking the right, the wrong supplier, picking a design that already uh, belongs to another another company that is not authorizing you. Um, yeah, these are very, very common risks. And a lot of people are just, I don't know, just too optimistic. Uh, yeah, okay, it's fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, oh, I think it's fine. I, I trust the, the supplier. If I don't trust the supplier, then who can I trust? Blah, 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 you know. And they might be lucky one time, two times, three times. Good for them. But... Mm-hmm. That's not a good recipe for building a long time, long-term business. That's what I would say. No, well, we we and we've discussed this before as well. I mean, and uh, as you mentioned in the last episode with uh, Clive and Max, you know, if if you are having this sort of issue with a supplier, and certainly this is a really serious one, mm-hmm. maybe switching is the re- is the best option. Mm-hmm. So in that case, having other options is is going to be useful, isn't it? Yeah. So you go back to step number, what is it, two, three, mm-hmm. and you let's say step three, you contact the suppliers, then you ask them some uh, so a few standard questions, so you can start to gather some some data, some facts, and and maybe put them in a spreadsheet to compare them. Um, request a quotation for exactly what you want. Then you can compare that also, you know, the lead time, the minimum order, minimum order quantity and things like that. Whatever is really important to your business. And, you know, you, you pick one, you go ahead with them. If later down the road you see you made a mistake, you don't have to start everything from scratch again. Candidate number two that did not get your business might be the good, the good one this time. Mm. So you ask them to update the quotations. Uh, you update them on where your business is at and you might be doing much better business with them. So don't, yeah. 
don't you know don't burn the bridges don't, you know say well you know i'm I might get back to you later, but now is not a good time. And then, well, later might be a good time <laughs> to talk to them. Mm. And you've mentioned sometimes maybe you you place the bulk of your orders with the initial supplier, but you also give you know a secondary one, maybe smaller orders, and keep them sort of ticking along. So yes, in some cases that makes a lot of sense. If of course if your orders are very small and it's it's already very hard for you to reach the minimum order quantity from the supplier, that's probably not going to happen. Sure. It's probably better to, to, to focus all of your buying power on one supplier to, um, to make your business more, inter- more, more, more interesting to them. Now, if you are several times above the minimum order quantity level, then you might want to go you know to yeah to develop the two two suppliers at the same time um, and if one of them for example if, if there needs to be some product development uh, but it's not very expensive you might do it with two suppliers and then one of them maybe is hitting a lot of roadblocks is is really um, suffering and take, taking them a lot of time the other one is going much faster hmm. well the one that's much faster is going to get your first orders and might be your first choice supplier. Mm. And if the second one catches up, uh, if the price and everything else is equal, you might still give them, you know, a first batch and then a while later a second batch, so they don't forget how to do it. They did all the development work, so they, they get some production work, um, and then you know you can switch to them at any time. So. Um, whatever happens, boom, a COVID restriction, you know, like what's, what's happening right now in, uh, in Vietnam, for example, yeah, uh, hits their area, but doesn't hit the backup suppliers area. Well, your supply chain is more, more flexible, right? You can, uh, you can react. You might not be hit as bad as you would uh, otherwise. So that, that, that's just an mm-hmm. example, but maybe supplier number one starts to, to raise their price too much, uh, starts to, to cause you all kinds of trouble with quality, with delivery and so on. Well, maybe, you know, you, you, you warn them and then you, you tell them, okay, you, you are my supplier number two now. The orders are going to be much lower and I'll reconsider that if you, if you improve your performance. And maybe you end up with two suppliers, roughly 50-50 or, you know, 80-20. But if you go too low on the second one, they might, they might start to act, you know, in, in unappealing ways, just be, just because your business is, un, is not interesting to them. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things to, to balance here. Good communication is important. I would say good communication. So they understand that uh, the sort of in a race, you know, it's, they have a challenge um, and that's the prize. And, you know, there are second chances, but it's, <laughs> you know, in the long term, yes. But if they do a, a, a big mess up, something really bad, then they're going to have consequences right away because you have the option. And that that is really, that, that makes the buyer's life much more comfortable, mm. right? Uh, when talking to, to suppliers, when the supplier knows there's, there's two, there's another supplier, um, well, 
they tend to be a bit more careful. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, that was sort of a, a, an initial introduction to sourcing from China for anybody that's considering doing it yourself. And so we've covered identifying possible suppliers, verifying or, or vetting, you know, a shortlist that you've made, and then also gone into just just now a little bit of cultivating, you know, a backup or a second choice. So yeah, thanks for that, Renault. Some really great tips there. Uh, until next time, Renault. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to like and share. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other places that you get your podcasts from. See you next time.